Welcome on the Lights on Data show, everybody. My name is George. And I'm Diana. <laughs> and today we are going to talk about how to transition into data science. Welcome, Jess. So a little bit about Jess. Jess Haberman is Director of Learning Solutions at Anaconda. She leads content strategy, educational outreach, and developer relations. Previously, Jess was an acquisitions director at O'Reilly Media, collaborating with tech industry leaders to develop instructional books and online content in data science and data engineering. Having seen and collaborated with so many people from the data field, Jess has lots and lots of insights into how to transition into data science, and we can't wait to hear all about it. Welcome, Jess. Thank you so much. I'm so happy to be here, and hi, everyone else. Welcome. <laughs> Before we go into our content, as always, I wanted to ask you, Jess, can you share a fun fact about yourself? Yes, I can. Actually, it's pretty topical that I'm actually, I have a kind of a weird phobia. I'm afraid of whales. And um, so right now it's kind of a, a triggering time for me. Uh, there's a lot of orca attacks. So, you know, and I also like sailing. So it's like a little mm. scary, but I manage it the best I can. Good. You're just staying closer to the shore, uh, maybe, and uh, that'll be okay. It's funny, any... I, I just started sailing lessons last night, so I'm just keeping oh, it wow. <laughs> Nice. We also need to take a look at the data, right, for this and see, yeah. should you really be worried or not? <laughs> yes, that would be the logical thing, right? Yes. <laughs> but do you have any idea where this comes from, or has this been with you forever? I, I don't know. I think, like, I, I grew up in Connecticut. I live in Massachusetts now, and we used to go to Mystic Aquarium and Apparently, my mom said I was like a little afraid of the like sharks in the shark aquariums. Maybe I just turned that into whales, but I don't know, they're big, they're scary. You're like in their environment. You just gotta keep your eye out, man. Yes. Yeah, yeah. That's true. So as I was mentioning to you, Jess, last night we had the pleasure of meeting Joe Reese in person, and there were a lot of local data folks and people that wanted to get into data science there, and they were asking a bunch of pertinent questions to our topic today. And I said, you have to tune in today and listen to Jess because they were asking things like, there's so many things that you can focus on, but not enough time. So what are those skills and knowledge areas that I should focus on acquiring first? And so I'm asking that to you. I'm passing on the buck. I'm passing on the question. <laughs> Yes, it's a hard question, right? Because I think like working in data and data science and can mean a lot of different things. It can, you can be coming from the very like technical side, or you can be coming from the less technical side and maybe more analytical side. You, be, you could be coming from a math background. You could be coming mm -hmm. from a programming background. So I think there's not like one, there's no right way to do it. I think it depends like data science was termed however long ago, 10 years ago, probably that, and has really evolved a lot. So I think also we see a lot of data science itself democratizing into all these different roles, whether that's data engineering or analytics engineering, machine learning engineering, like kind of all these different opportunities. So I think it's like having a sense of where do you want to be and and what do you feel pretty confident in if you're if you come with a math background and you want to really dig into programming it's maybe learn python and learn pandas and doing data analysis tasks like that way and starting to ease into that more technical world again if you're coming from programming like figuring out like Maybe you need to brush up on some math skills because you might not have a math degree. Like maybe learning statistics and probability and linear algebra. So it totally depends. But I know part of our goal at Anaconda 
is to, to help you like find the right path. And that can be with, uh, with a range of different tools and educational resources. And just like being part of the community, I think asking questions is really important and being part of this network, because I found, especially when I joined O'Reilly, I joined as a pretty non-technical person. I had to like really quickly figure it out. <laughs> it's mm -hmm. intimidating, but I found this network to be like really generous and very smart and really willing to, to help bring more people in and really welcoming. So that's a really brief, broad <laughs> way to, to approach. Thank yeah. And, and there's already questions here coming in. Dan Everett is saying that he's afraid of math and that's okay. <laughs> yes. That's okay. Yes. It is um, okay. Thomas, Thomas is, is asking here, what if you don't have programming or math background? So like you mentioned, I think he can relate to your story there and there's a place for everybody. And Absolutely. And like, I think too, if you're, if you're just interested, if you have an analytical mind and you're interested, maybe like you use Excel and maybe that's like as much as like you can, you feel like comfortable with. We're working on a lot of resources for Excel users to start to mm -hmm. develop analytical skills and learn a little bit of Python and, and just bring them along that path as well. And then ever has a follow-up then what are the foundational skills to work on? Would you say then maybe Python R, some Excel would be part of those foundational skills to, to get on? Yeah. Yeah. I think so. I think a, a little bit of math. I know it can be scary, but <laughs> if Python, you can learn math. And even if you don't know Python, like it, and again, it's, there's some basics. There's and a book, Essential Math for Data Science from Thomas Neal that I highly recommend to start to ease into that world. But I think some of the other foundational skills are being able to visualize data and to and tell a story about data. That's a really important skill to hone. And also just like communicating with business stakeholders who probably don't speak the language of data. So how do you tell a story that, that others are going to understand that you're, that you're not speaking your most technical language, you're not talking the way you would with a developer, but you're able to broaden that knowledge to others and make the data make sense. So that's a skill that takes some time to, to practice as well. But those are a few things and being able just to build projects that you can showcase, like that's really important, I think, in your career to be able to move further. And again, just like demonstrating what you're able to accomplish and communicate is really important. Can you give examples of some projects that people can do? Yeah. And again, I'm a less, <laughs> less technical person, but yes. And this can be done. You don't have to be very sophisticated to be able to do that. Like you can, you can develop a project using like block style coding if, and I can get into that a little bit more, but, or you can do it with some really basic like data visualization tools, or you can, if you're, you are more sophisticated building sort of an end to end machine learning project, but again, being able to show what, what you can accomplish and the sort of like how you, how you made determinations. You could also like, so for example, we host our, these data science expos. These are in-person events we've done with high school level students and mm. it's a competition. So we ask them to approach a problem. They can decide what the problem is, but maybe it's societal, maybe it's climate, maybe it's a technical problem and actually dive into tell what their assumptions are tell how they use data to, to test those hypotheses and then what was their end result and they could be they could find that their hypotheses were completely wrong but being able to show that process of how you got from one to another is is really critical and i think can be really compelling we had a team in the data science expo that talked about 
I'm trying to remember what, it was an area in, in North Carolina. I don't remember exactly what, what town or city, but basically they evaluated like the crime rate and what they thought might be causing it. And they thought maybe it was education or maybe it was your economic level that was causing crime rates to go up or down. But what they found was it was actually public, public amenities and parks and stuff that the, when there were more public parks, like that actually reduced crime. So mm -hmm. it was such an interesting project to understand like how they got to that data and then what they could present. And that was like really a data that you could like actually apply and make ch changes that could like really fix problems. So that was a really compelling project just to give an example. That's fascinating. Mm -hmm. And yes, it's great that we have access to this type of data with, with open data and a lot of cities and governments would provide it to you. And it's a great starting point for projects and self-learning and to company courses that Anaconda is offering it to. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so we, I started Anaconda about a year ago, a little more than that. And so we developed pretty quickly a learning platform that launched last October. So we have some like fundamental courses available and many of them are inexpensive or some are free and we have live events and things as well. So come check it out at anaconda.cloud. There's a learning tab at the top. And then we'd love to hear what people think and what they want to learn, what's missing and what, what challenges do people have? Like we're just, it's really important for us to be connected to folks in the, in this field and understand what their challenges are so that we can just bring solutions to folks. And we're really lucky at Anaconda that we have so many people in our ecosystem that we get a lot of information, but the world is changing really fast and mm -hmm. people are learning Python a lot earlier or learning data science skills a lot mm -hmm. earlier. Before their career, they're learning it. Obviously folks who are studying that in university are learning it, but students as young as like kindergarten are learning how to do <laughs> some kind of coding, like whether they're using Scratch. Uh, we just acquired a company called EduBlocks, which is another block style coding tool in that both the blocks as well as like the coding window so that you can build projects through that we're, we're releasing classroom functionality through that as well so it's there's just such a wide range it's really exciting that people are learning these skills so young and just like really changing the world so early so we're really pumped about that that's amazing yes and seeing from my nieces as well that are like three and four they're already learning how to interpret data and understand graphs yeah. and how to build their own out of Legos and understand the different meanings yeah. there and relationships. And it's, yeah, it's fascinating. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's such a great opportunity. Like how do we teach young learners about bias and about ethics mm. and things like that, which like, I think a lot of adults are struggling with and how do we embed that in education early mm. on so that it's really improving a data education and data science for years to come. Yeah. Dan is wondering, what are your thoughts on using LLMs, large, large language learning models for coding? Uh, hard to speak on behalf of developers or coders. I'm not really why I know some real basic Python. However, what I'll say is large language models, generative AI, chat GPT, all these tools are like not going away. And chances are they're going to get very sophisticated, very fast. I've heard from other folks that, that do a lot of coding that they save a lot of time using, mm -hmm. for example, ChatGPT. Kenji is one. I think he, he shaves off like hours of mm -hmm. his work week just by testing out his code and figuring out where things are wrong or improving code. And yeah, it's, 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 it's a tool that's out there. I encourage you to play around with it. I think everyone having more literacy around how these things work is good. And I think, I don't know if 
you're hearing what I'm hearing. A lot of companies are diving into this space. So having some understanding around it is going to be really valuable. I agree. And I was reading an article this morning about Harvard that was including it officially in one of its programming courses, really allowing students to work alongside with ChatGPT to understand code, to improve their code, to comment it. So like you said, it's a tool. Let's learn how to use it and see how we can benefit from it. But of course, not fully rely on it. There's a lot that we need to learn ourselves. Exactly. And I think if you're able to use it and improve on it and It's the same thing with writing is I use it frequently just to improve my writing or to get a different perspective on something I'm trying to write an abstract together, but I never use exactly what it spits out to me. I will heavily edit it and make sure it feels like it's coming from my voice. So I think it's really important to like add your own, add it to your skill set rather than replace a skill. Exactly. Some say it's the new Google. So as we've learned how to use Google to search for information, we're now learning ChatGPT to aid us with the information that it's providing us. Yeah, it's fascinating. Like, because you can have more of a conversation, right? Like, I I'm like watching a French show, and if I want to get something translated, now I'm using my app, my ChatGPT app, because mm-hmm. it gives you a little bit more context. Like, mm-hmm. if you put an idiom in, it will be like, oh, this literally means this, but it actually means this contextually. And like, Google Translate's not doing that for you, yeah. so. That's, I think, pretty fascinating. Wow, that's it. I've never thought about that. I'm uh, learning Italian myself, so I'll uh, start oh. making use of it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's fun. It's fun to play around with and see what it's going to tell you. And you don't always get like a great response or clear or great response, but it's another tool that, to try out. It's I'm going to it more frequently than other translation tools. Yeah, yeah. And speaking of tools, do you have any recommendations for some essential tools, technologies that future data scientists or upcoming or aspiring, even current ones that they should be familiar with? Yeah, I think probably this is, I'm preaching to the choir. Again, I, at Anaconda, I'm come total, very heavy Python background. So certainly learning the kind of the most popular packages, how they work, digging into pandas, numpy, scikit-learn. I think just like having an understanding of the basics is a good idea. I would caution people not to like go too far into and this is this data engineering too is the same way is there's so many tools like it is impossible to really get even a surface level understanding of a majority of them there's just Mm -hmm. no way but find the ones that like really work for you so for example i have a colleague sophia yang and she's a developer advocate for us and she though she can she understands pandas and and seaborn and these other data visualization tools she really likes holovis and panel so she works a lot with those they really serve her and that's up and it is an anaconda product but or it was created by anaconda engineers but it is just a for kind of what she likes to do with dataviz and like the and the unique offerings like that package like gives her like that is like her kind of happy place so i think like figuring out what works for you and again it's you're every i think everyone's going to work a little bit differently there again there's no like template that is going to be like okay a successful data scientist have to do it this way but it's good to i think find what works for you and and to really develop your kind of personality as a data scientist what helps you communicate better what helps you really apply in your analytical thinking. So I think, again, they're just like standard Python libraries that probably if you're working in Python makes complete sense. I, I would encourage you if you're an R person to, to start looking at Python. <laughs> I'm 
I'm just seeing a lot like from the university, there's a lot of universities that still teach R, but a lot of them are shifting to Python. Mm. Companies are expecting to either know or learn Python. It feels though Python may not be forever the top of the food chain, like for right now, it certainly is. Yeah. As Maxwell here is saying, Python and C for the win. Ah, absolutely. Hello, Python lover. Uh, You've answered Kate's question, which is what is your favorite programming language? Yeah, it's funny because I actually went, I went to a liberal arts college I, and, I, and I even started learning computer science in high school. I took mm-hmm. uh, C++ classes and then in college, it, like the course material transition to Java, just I did what I was told. I didn't really have a perspective on programming <laughs> language. And at the time, and I really enjoyed computer science, but it was a lot of alone time in a computer lab and I was an edu- I was an English major so I was already spending a lot of time in a computer lab if you remember what computer labs are if you're yeah, <laughs> so I was already spending a lot of time like writing and like sitting alone and that's like, both computer science and English tend to be solitary pursuits but I'm a social person like I I, hmm. I couldn't add another study that was like that solitary so I didn't pursue computer science <laughs> real thoroughly back then but it is exciting to be back in this world and taking Python again I was like oh I remember I remember how loops work and things like that even under I've written about this too is like even having like some basics on mm-hmm. Python taking mm-hmm. like one four to six week like intro to Python course like it will teach you a lot. Like you'll just be able to understand like how people work with it. And like when people like there, you'll just understand a little bit more of the vocabulary and you'll just understand a little bit of like how to problem solve. So like, I would highly encourage, again, if you're like, if you're not a programmer, take one course and it it helped me like immeasurably, like it helped me get this job. It helps me understand what challenges people run into. So highly recommend that you dig into it a little bit. And if you're, if you're already really sophisticated programmer in whatever language doing machine learning is, this isn't going away either. I think like it, it has for a long time, AI has been this sort of like hype, but now we're really starting to see where it can be applied and value. Mm -hmm. So I think that's likely to grow rather. I don't think we're in this real short hype bubble with generative AI. I think there will continue to be like big opportunities there. I think so too. Diana is not in the data space and she's doing a PhD right now, part of it. And she will need to learn Python to aid in her research yeah. and uh, analyze that data collection and everything that you're doing there. There you I'm go. You can. So you've got to learn it yourself. <laughs> yes. Really no, and I, I'm looking forward to it actually. I find that it's, it would be very helpful, not only with the PhD, but in general. Jess, you mentioned some of these, but just to be more concrete and to give concrete guidelines to our listeners. So what are some of the different paths or approaches that individuals can take to transition yeah. into data science? And if you can, please include maybe some educational programs or some boot camps, some online resources. Definitely, you also mentioned Anaconda in Anaconda. Yeah. Absolutely. So there, there are a lot of ways, right? And I don't think any one particular is necessarily the right one or the best one, because it really depends on your, like what you can do economically, what you're, what you can afford to do. And there's a lot of sort of privilege in that as well. So like there are obviously like you could go to, you can go to university and take courses and that is a really immersive experience. And if you can afford to do like, that might be a great opportunity and a great option for you. But if you're not, and you're considering non academic methods for furthering your education, there are a lot of ways. And that can be anything from like free courses on free videos on YouTube, 
or in, or really cheaper courses. Again, you, there's a little bit of you get what you pay for. So it's something to keep in mind versus you can go as far as taking, spending tens of thousands of dollars on a boot camp. I would recommend you're like somewhere in between. I would start, <laughs> start in YouTube, start to gain a little bit more skills. If it interests you, then that's when you, the time you want to invest a little bit more. Like I'm, I'm like not sure that boot camps are always like the most effective or I think there's a lot of, there's a lot of gimmicks and there's a lot of hype around boot camps, and they can leave, they often leave folks a bit disappointed that it doesn't automatically turn into a job. And I think boot camps have this reputation of, oh, you, you should automatically get a job when you're done, which like, I don't think any, anyone people will say that they're going to guarantee it, but you never know. You never know what the economy is going to be like, et cetera. So I think take those gimmicks with a grain of salt and think about how do you like build the like pieces that, that you need to understand. And again, you might come from, oh, you maybe already have a math background or you maybe already are pretty sophisticated in, in your coding skills. So being able to like piecemeal add the things that you need is really helpful. So there's a few, I mean, uh, Coursera is, is a great option. Anaconda, obviously we have quite a few courses. O'Reilly's good. And it depends, like you might be good at like online courses. You might prefer to read. So it depends on what sort of style of learning is best for you. There's other opportunities where you can get mentorship and things like that. So at Anaconda, again, we're still like early in our journey for developing educational resources, but we have online courses. They're one to five hours long per course. And each module is like each sort of lesson is like no longer than 10 minutes. So you can like stop and start. You can come and go. It tracks your progress. You get a badge at the end. You can share it on LinkedIn, all that sort of stuff. It's really important to us. I think one of the things that when I came to Anaconda was like, I don't, I, I, there are other e-learning sites that take a lot of user generated content and they promote the best stuff. I really want to curate the best content for our learners so that they understand like how to move through a pathway of knowledge and that they can get exactly what they need and they can leave the other things aside and that they're getting content from like real experts in the field who are actual, who are actual educators. So that doesn't necessarily mean they're PhDs or professors, but they have a background in educating people and they're good trainers. So that's really important for us as well. But we're also working on certificate programs, depending on data science is not necessarily right now an area where there's any expectation that you have a certificate in data science or Python and not all of those are necessarily even offered. There are regions of the world where that is, it is really important to have certifications. So there's a little bit of it depends where you come from and what's crucial in sort of your career or your goals. But for example, we're, we're going to have a Conda certificate, Conda fundamental certificate available next month. So we're excited about that. But I think like, to me, some of the most important stuff is like I was talking about earlier is building projects. So being able to build projects, solve a problem and showcase your work is a really critical skill. So we have a data science portfolio workshop. We ran, we ran live last month, but we're going to share as an on-demand course that people can take on their own time. Doing something like that is, I think, really useful to, to understand, like, in, in part of that course is even why it's important to have a network. It doesn't mm -hmm. mean you have to be some, like, LinkedIn influencer, <laughs> but it, uh, it is important to be able to connect with mm -hmm. people virtually or even in person if you're able, if you're able to go to a low-key data meetup or, or anything like that, highly encourage you go and you talk to people in the space. Like they're very friendly. They're very nice. They just, we all want to help each other out. So those are, I think some, 
I know I just didn't really answer the question at all and probably just made it a little more confusing. There's so many options for your education. So it really, again, it, de it depends on what you're able to afford and what your goals are and what style of learning is best for you. But yeah. there, there are, I, I'm, I mentioned Anaconda, O'Reilly, Coursera, because I think they have like really strong quality, really strong brand of content. Biased, obviously, because I've been <laughs> worked for two of them, but they're find what really works for you. And I think finding either a site or a publisher that where you like really work with that style and you learn a lot, I'd stick with it because there's a, there's a reason why some of these, these sites and these publishers have really excelled over the years. Absolutely. And just to add to your to your answer, I have another question here from Fred, Fred, Frederick. Python, where can we learn that fast? Any resources? And I would recommend mm -hmm. to, if you do enjoy the self-paced avenue, go check out anaconda.club because they do have a couple of courses. They have a lot more courses, but they do have a couple on Python in, in particular. Last time I looked, there was one on Python First Steps introduction to python programming which i think it's really good intro courses just to get you started have an idea on where to move forward and then they also go more in depth into other courses for data visualization with python specific libraries for python like pandas and there's a lot to choose from but you can start with those that's two. exactly right yeah, that's exactly right. Those are exactly the ones I'd recommend. I learned from Reuven Lerner and he has also a free, I think it's like a six week course. And he, and I know he offers a similar course on the O'Reilly platform, but he's a really strong trainer. Highly recommend just to get some fundamental Python skills and you can learn it pretty fast. The one that, that George just suggested, the intro to Python programming on Anaconda is I think five and a half hours long. So that's a very quick, I think it, it moves you through really quickly. And, but because it's on demand, you can take your time, you can practice, you can like, and we're trying to offer a lot more. We do these like video shorts that, that Sophia creates on like tips and tricks with Python. They're a minute long, but every so often you like, I think just making like finding newsletters, finding like uh, maybe YouTube channel where you like pick up a little bit every day. And maybe it's like something that you have on while you're cooking and that you're doing a little bit of like passive learning is I highly recommend that too, because you pick up a lot more than you think, e even if you're not sitting there and like practicing coding, lots of ways to learn. Thank you. And I'm glad that you've, you brought up that importance of networking and building those connections. And I agree with you that I think the data science community is such a friendly and welcoming community and everybody wants to learn from each other and help each other. And anytime, just feel free to ask questions and reach out to fellow data people. And I'm sure they'll be able to at least provide a resource where you can look for that answer. Yeah. And, and you do a lot with this show and there's a lot of others. I thought I saw Kate Strachney in the, in the chat. She has her dedicated shows. There's, um, you mentioned Joe Reese. They have the Monday morning data, data show. I pick these up a lot. Kenji. Yeah, Kenji. Exactly. So even just, there's a few that I attend regularly and there's few that I like catch when I can. There's so many, it's like everyone has yeah. a podcast now. So it's <laughs> again, don't try to necessarily have to do all of them, but if you have people that you you're interested in and you like the way that they explain things and you're just curious, a lot of these shows, they have like useful, they have like really like experts in the field on their shows and you can learn a lot from them. So that's another kind of easy way to just listen in and learn who's in the space and hopefully meet these people because they, they'd all like to meet you. <laughs> Mm -hmm. exactly. Yeah, so I just want to echo that what you both said, me not being in the data field and not working specifically in this, I find that the data community is very welcoming, very welcoming. Yeah. And it's yeah. not that big either. So 
in, in a few yeah. months, I think you get to know all the the influencers for sure, but then, then other people as well. So you find them in this the networking mm. event and then at that conference and in this podcast and so on, which is very nice. And do, do I would feeling. say maybe it is big, but they make it seems like it's smaller yeah, yeah, because right, of yeah. the, the welcoming community and how yeah. warm they are. And yeah. yeah, it's like a big, it's a big global virtual kind of group that mm. like when you get together in person, it's like a range. You might have like six people show up to an event or it might be a hundred. So I, right. it's interesting too, that I think post COVID, a lot of the things that like pre COVID were, were hard to get people to do, go to social events, go to meetups, go to like after conference, like social hangs, that sort of stuff. Those are like really filling up now. I think that's part of what we really miss. Like either you feel like you're catching up with people you haven't seen or talked to or new people you haven't met since COVID or if it's like a lot of us like me included like work from home all the time now and for someone who's like super social like I need to be in front of people like I need mm-hmm. to meet people so I try to attend meetups we have a really good one in Boston um, that, that they've been working on I think it's every few months and I miss the last one and I'm still feel guilty about it but I and I try to go to conferences too again like if it, this is tricky. I know a lot of companies are pulling back on their budgets and things. So it may not always be easy to get to get to to travel or to your company to pay for you to travel. But if you're able to go like, for example, the data day Texas event that was in January was so good that Lynn Bender runs and there was quite a lot of O'Reilly authors there. So I ended up knowing a lot of people. And I think really good, really good talks, really good, just a lot of like really great energy. And it's nice because there's not a lot of these events that are like not so vendor focused, but if you're, if you're able to go again, and this could just be like a meetup in your town, in your city, there's things that are free and that are a little easier to access. So there's a whole range. Yeah, absolutely. And Dan mentioned data ventures are helpful. Mm. There you go. And we have one of the data ventures here, Scott Taylor, the data whisperer. Saying hey Jess. Hi Scott. <laughs> Good to see you. <laughs> I know lots of people in the chat that are familiar. Nice. Here, so all connect with me on LinkedIn. I'd love to spread my network and learn from all of you. Don't hesitate. Connect with me. Very nice. And you can connect with me on Twitter, but I mostly just like yell at sports teams over there. <laughs> or yell at whales. I do that too. So like, <laughs> <laughs> I'm not uh, sure they're on Twitter, but that's what it helps me. <laughs> So in in closing, do you have any thoughts on how do you see that data science field evolving in the future? Yeah, I think like there, it's interesting. And I think then the number of people who maybe call themselves data scientists, I think that's going to change. I I think that's been this sort of broad term that like, I think has been defined, but it is like people are changing the way they approach kind of data practitioner work and and again approaching it from all these different angles so I think we're going to start to see that split off however I don't think that means like that there are going to be fewer people I think more people are moving into data and I think there is this big opportunity for folks who are knowledge workers that do some who look at data a lot and who are interested in doing more analysis I think there's all these tools that are going to that are coming through now and that are likely to come out in the future that's a bit such a huge audience that we can really assist to be able mm-hmm. to do more sophisticated work, do do better work, create better visualizations, do all these things. So I think like that the like knowledge workers, I feel like I can see a lot of them moving more into data. There's already a lot of interest in stuff like in, in learning Python and creating better visualizations and things like that. So 
I see a lot of, I see the growth in this area. And then when I think like the generative AI and LLMs, like again, as they get more sophisticated are just going to help us like automate more things quickly to be able to do more of the like cool work that like you get into data science for. You're not necessarily in data science to spend 80% of your time cleaning data. Ideally, like (laughs) that becomes more automated, easier to do in that that's just the work is more rewarding. So I see that happening too, because I think that's been a real uh, challenge for a long time is how much work you do on this like hard to automate stuff. So I see that changing in the future. Very nice. The future looks promising. (laughs) Yes, it does. It does. Yeah, I agree. But ethics is important. We need we need to teach people how to work ethically with data. And especially when you're doing generative AI or even just what you should and shouldn't do. Like what are best practices for working? For example, don't put proprietary data into chat GPT. There are yep. things that like, but people don't know or, yep. or like really aren't thinking about it. So understanding like what you can and can't do with your data and or what you should and shouldn't do. There's a lot of work to do to educate folks in this space. So I'm super excited about that opportunity too. Me too. Nice. Thank you very much, Jess. Thank you, you both. I really appreciate it. Again, where people can find you and the website of Anaconda, please. Yes, you can connect with me on LinkedIn. I'm Jess Haberman there. I should be easy to find. And, and then please join us at anaconda.cloud or learning.anaconda.cloud. Either way, you can find our courses there. We have live events every month and we have lots of exciting things coming. And please reach out to us. You can reach out to me directly. You can reach out to learning.anaconda.com if you have suggestions, challenges, anything you want to see from us. We'd love to hear it. Wonderful. Thank you very much for your time and for your really helpful insights. And thank thank you. you very much, everyone, for being here and for your great questions as always. And we wish you a wonderful weekend.